1: This episode is brought to you by Dove. You use all the right skincare products for your face, but your body has been missing out. With new Dove Serum Body Wash, you can give your body the vitamin C glow it's been wanting, the hydration boost it's been craving, and the active skincare ingredients it deserves. It's time for your body care era. New Dove Serum Body Wash. Get Dove or get FOMO.
0: This is Disasters and Triumphs, a new podcast brought to you by Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Deputy Editor and host of the podcast, and in this series I'm inviting some of our favourite people from the food world to share pivotal moments in their careers. I'll be asking about first steps, inspiring people they met on the way, and what it felt like when success arrived. We'll also explore the flip side of that and talk about tougher times that knocked them off course, how they got back on track, and what they learnt as a result. Because sometimes failure can be just as inspiring as success. This episode we welcome Callum Franklin, chef, author and self-confessed pastry deviant to the podcast. After a career working in some of London's top restaurants including The Ivy, One Aldwych and Roast, Callum was appointed executive chef at Holborn Dining Rooms in the Rosewood Hotel. Whilst working there, he discovered an antique pie tin in the vaults of the hotel, which kicked off a fascination with intricate pastry creations. A specialist pie menu in the restaurant was followed by the opening of a dedicated pie room in 2018, where the public could watch the pastry chefs at work. In 2020, Callum published his first book, The Pie Room, which is an absolute treasure trove of recipes and technique. Jamie Oliver crowned him the pie king, and we think it's a worthy title. (laughs) So welcome, Callum.
1: Thank you. Thank you for <laughs> for having me on. That's lovely. What? Well, yeah. Always kind of always feels a bit strange when I hear intros about myself. It's very, yeah. Lovely, but it's always yeah. very weird. Yeah.
0: <laughs> We've got to put you in some kind of context. I yeah. mean, you are actually a bit of a veteran of the Olive Magazine podcast because being on twice, first in two thousand seventeen, mm. episode forty-one, when we sort of started talking about um you just introduced the pie menu to the restaurant, I think. And then uh, in 2018, episode 94, we talked all about the pie room and the building of that and the creation of that. And I listened to that again this morning and it's a brilliant episode and mm. you give away quite a lot of tricks as well. So um, anyone who's interested in learning a bit of technique can listen to episode 94. I want to go back a bit, though, to, to begin with, um, mm. to the beginning um, and talk about you know, your kind of first steps and what the the pivotal moment was when you kind of knew that, if not becoming a chef, whatever, that you knew that your career was going to be something to do with food. Can you talk us through that?
1: Yeah, sure. So, like, as far back as I can sort of remember at school, i <laughs> I knew that I wasn't somebody who was, like, particularly... Uh, suited to academic work in 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 the sort of guise of doing exams, studying. Uh, I didn't really find anything that could stop me from having a sort of fidgety energy that really just didn't want to be sat down and studying and whatever. And both my brothers very much were like that. They were very academic and great at you know uh, at studying exams. And I I really couldn't, uh, wait to finish school and, but had no idea what I wanted to do. You know, I mean, you sit there in those sort of guidance lessons and they say, Oh, you know, you should go and study this at university and just completely in my mind was everything they suggested was completely irrelevant to me in terms of what I wanted to do. And then I took a job in the summer and one of the last years at school, um, just as a kitchen porter washing up and I just remember like absolutely crystal clear sort of thinking like I not not necessarily being like up to your elbows in soap in the sink but the environment of the kitchen I was like I this is 100% where I could see myself working and enjoying this atmosphere right it's kind of like uh yeah so that sort of adrenaline driven pretty wild kitchen atmosphere which weirdly is all about sort of finesse and creativity kind of hidden underneath all of that wildness and and shouting and noise and clanging there's these you know plates being dressed beautifully and uh and I was like this is yeah it's amazing um and I remember going home that night and and sort of giving the fingers up to both my brothers and saying, I've <laughs> I found what I want to do. You know, I was young still. And, uh, and I also thought, you know, this is something that if I, if I really apply myself to, I could do okay at, you mm-hmm. know, if I really work hard.
0: I think that's interesting what you say about the, the energy and the kind of chaos in the kitchen, you know, hiding all of the intricacies. Because I think someone watching from the outside, looking at a professional kitchen and seeing those little ticker tape things coming through and people shouting ready and forward, you know, and it just, it baffles me. I I think my brain would just go to to mush, being in Mm. the middle of all of that. I mean, how do you keep a rein on all of that?
1: (laughs) It definitely, for everybody, it does at the beginning. It is, if you know, when you go into a kitchen that's really uh like a professional outfit and everything is you know sort of called out as an order and everybody answers in time and and you have to sort of mentally juggle all these different things at once in a very short sort of intense period it throws everyone at the beginning right? i i remember sort of what you know being in that environment and 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 just thinking how you know how do they do this? This not you know really not being able to keep up and and seeing people just sort of taking it in their stride and and it just comes with time. That's all yeah. it is. Yeah. What
0: What was your like um progression like then from from that moment where you were a pot washer to mm. deciding I want to get into the chef side of it? How did How did it go in terms of years? For
1: yeah, just sort of nagging at the chef to sort of being allowed, mm. you know, to step into the main kitchen and and you. If you're lucky, you work in a kitchen where, as a kitchen porter, you already do some food prep. You know, I was talking to someone the other day, uh, a chef in London, and she was saying that, you know, the kitchen porters at hers actually did most of the preparation for Sunday lunch, all of the peeling potatoes, prepping the veg, and whatever. And so, you know, I, I was lucky like that as well. And you kind of had that, it's not too far of a step to go into a sort of commie chef position. Um, and then, really, I went down a very, you know, very traditional route of of working through that tiered kitchen system of like commie chef, demi chef, chef de party, you know, et cetera, et cetera up until kind of where I am now.
0: Yeah, it is. It is very structured. It's very hierarchical, isn't it? In the in the mm. traditional t- terms, I guess, yeah. unless you go off and win MasterChef and get to open your own place, mm. <laughs> you get to frog leap. But um, but yeah, what? thinking about that who was who was who inspired you on the way what, what what sort of people did you meet who was like the most inspiring person within that
1: yeah i mean i'm 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 very lucky that i've worked with lots of people like that but one who kind of really stood out was uh when i m- i moved to a hotel called the one Aldwych hotel um uh, not far from where we are now actually uh, at the rosewood and the chef there was Tony Fleming and I'd worked with him kind of at a previous hotel. So I'd been at uh, the great Eastern hotel in Liverpool street and he was running banqueting there, I think at the time. And I was in fine dining, but then he, you know, I I heard he'd gone to one Aldwych. I'd only heard good things from his team about working with him. So I was like, Oh yeah, I'd love to go there. And, um, the way tony led a team certainly changed the way that i worked afterwards you know how i led a team um he was very fair he was he was firm when he needed to be and he was serious when he needed to be but he has like a really wonderful nature about him as a human anyway he's very honest very fun um but he'd also look at everybody in the kitchen as equals. So if somebody was really struggling where I'd worked with some chefs who would have sort of thrown that person aside, you know, uh, or just, you know, allowed them to sort of fail. So they'd leave. Tony would identify what their weakness was and work on it and improve that person. So it he it actually brought the strength of the whole team up all the time. And, uh, Yeah. And I kind of always appreciated that. And then actually towards the end of the time I was working with him, I was really struggling with something in life and the way Tony dealt with me over that again was a a massive eye opener for me because um, I was making a lot of mistakes at the time in and out of professional life and personal life and Tony didn't just say you know get rid of this guy he's a nightmare he did everything he could to help me and uh, yeah it's difficult to explain quite how much that meant to me at the time and still does now uh, but it, in some ways it's just going to sound strong but he did save my life in some ways at the time.
0: Wow, that's powerful mm. and I think that kind of you know, because you're talking about compassion and empathy with mm. other human beings. And it's obviously something that you said you've, you've brought into your own kitchen.
1: Yeah, and when, when we opened Holborn Dining Room, I kind of thought, like, you know, I ask a lot of the people that come to work with me. They, they're they there, you know, quite long hours and they have to work hard when they're there. And I, I want them to enjoy themselves when they're there, right? I don't want people to spend... You know, a large part of their waking week in fear, or you know, scared of making a mistake, or you know, not really enjoying being where they are. I'd much mm. rather people kind of had a smile when they were, well, <laughs> I don't have anyone has <laughs> a smile on the way to work, but 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 are not fearful about going to work. Yeah, yeah. Is it
0: is it important for you to be a mentor as well? Like I'm thinking about, for example, um, Knox on your team. Who you've you've you've, you've you champion her a lot, um, and and I I remember like the the various conversations we had and re-listened to that one this morning you were talking about, um you know I think she's she's head of pies now is that a, mm. I want that title please yeah. <laughs> head of so is is it important for you to to be that kind of mentor figure bringing people yeah. up and
1: I mean look seeing seeing the success of the chefs the I'm working with is huge. That's hugely important to me. And uh, and I know some people are a little bit fragile about things like that. Like it's, you know, why detract from you? Right. You're, you know, you're, you know, you're the name. Why, why give them any sort of spotlight, but our kitchen is built on the strength of all of those people. So actually seeing the, you know, Knox and Mark and all of those guys being successful and getting their names out there in the public eye is huge for me. And uh, and the other thing for it, for, I think, that really pushed me on that sort of path was um, I didn't always have a lot of self-confidence when I was kind of coming through the industry. And a lot of that was sort of being battered by a lot of chefs throughout my career. But You know, always being told that you're doing the wrong thing and you're not good enough. And um, what I kind of realized after a while was like with the pie making, you know, I didn't have any sort of formal training in pastry. But I just realized that if I fully, fully threw myself into it and worked really hard, I could get probably quite good at it. And that opened, you know, a few doors for me. And then I, I kind of realized like, hold on, this applies to most things, right? And, uh, and it, but, you know, Knox would say to me, you know, I, chef, I can't do that. You know, that's too complicated for me. I wouldn't be able to do that. And we'd have these talks where I'd explain, you know, so why, why wouldn't you be able to do that? Explain to me why you wouldn't do that. And then we'd talk about a path and how we, you know, how we kind of take the steps to get down that path to reach the goal. And before you knew it, she'd done it. And it's kind of removed that mental barrier for her a bit.
0: Yeah. It's so true though. Cause I've watched, you know, from the, from the first time we we did the podcast in 2017, when you'd, you'd literally, you were telling the story of finding the antique tin in the basement and, mm. you know, opening it all up with the keys and working out what it was and starting on, on that journey of, um, doing all of those amazing pastries to to now you're releasing your book and the pie room and, and I've just seen it kind of just the focus and the the gradual in, unveiling of different different levels and all through that you've just been like beam of light just going towards what you wanted and um it's so
1: inspirational to watch that thank you thank you yeah I just I don't know you just find that thing right that I just, for me, it was this sort of deep, deep well of information and history that I could keep going down. And, and still, you know, we'd sort of barely scratching the surface of, of what, you know, we can do in terms of pie making. And, uh, and that's really exciting for me. And, um, yeah, being able to take a few people there on the journey to sort of do that is amazing.
0: Looking back at the last few years, what's been, you know, your triumph? What's been the point where you thought, yeah, I've made it, I've arrived? What was the biggest success point?
1: Um, I, I don't think there was ever a, like a single, singular moment. Yeah. I think it has been more gradual, but there have been times where you know, people that you know I've very much seen as sort of idols in the food world and stuff like that. I, I took there was one. Okay, actually there was one. <laughs> Not wasn't that long ago. So uh it was Angela Hartnett, and we were at a um charity dinner that um one of her chefs was one of the collaboration chefs. It was me, Knox, uh one of Angela's chefs and a couple of other chefs. Um, and we were doing this dinner and Angela was a guest and I, you know, I've held Angela in the highest esteem all my career, right? She's this legend. And, uh, at the end of the dinner, we kind of like walked past and I, I just like kind of waved at Angela and she looked at me and she went, all right, Callum. And I was like, I'm not going to swear, but I was like, (laughs) oh my God, like that is the coolest thing. The coolest thing. And Knox was like, she knows our name. She knows our names. Yeah, that was a big thing for me. It might sound something small to some people, but that was huge for me. Um, yeah, doing the cookbook was a big thing, you know. And um, my brother sent me a photo the other day, and it was sort of on a sh- you know, it was on a shelf in Waitrose, and he was like, "This is really cool," and I was like, "Yeah, that's amazing! Like, it's so cool."
0: Stick around to hear more inspirational chat, stories, and advice from Cullen Franklin. Obviously the flip side of success is um, darker times mm. and we're asking everyone on on this series to share some times when they've faced obstacles in their life or felt a bit derailed. And yours is quite a personal story that you you shared on um, social media earlier on this year. Mm. So um, I'm going to let you tell it because um, it's your story.
1: Yeah, so, uh, I mean, it was quite a build-up to... <laughs> this you know all going pretty horribly wrong but um i mean yeah i'm a I'm a recovering alcoholic right i I haven't had a drink now for ten years, so ten years on the first of January this year, and um I've been an alcoholic as long as I can remember, as far back as my first drink anyway, so when I was about sort of fourteen um I just drank very differently to all my friends. I'd always drink to get drunk. And basically what happened was over a long period of time, it got gradually worse and worse. Now, one thing with the restaurant industry is it does have somewhat of the ability to camouflage some of those uh, sort of downfalls sometimes. And in the, you know, maybe um, – If I worked as a bank teller, I probably couldn't go to work absolutely hungover because (laughs) it'd probably be pretty obvious in front of a guest. But uh, as a chef, you can kind of sweat it out in a kitchen. If you're red-faced and sweaty, you're working hard, right? So I could usually sort of get away with it. But what happened was uh, sort of moving towards my late 20s, that alcohol sort of dependency built and built and built to the point where i became physically addicted to alcohol where you know i i couldn't um at the towards the end i couldn't go more than probably an hour without having alcohol in my system or ingesting alcohol yeah because my you know i got to a point where i was completely physically addicted so my body would go into tremors like, really serious tremors and just, you know, really awful feeling, uh, the sort of aching throughout your body. Um, and yeah, I mean, I was working quite late up until that, pro- you know, that end process where it it all sort of went catastrophically wrong. But, you know, I, I got sort of touched on that with Tony earlier. Tony was my boss at the time. He knew something was badly wrong. And instead of just sort of throwing me to the side at the time, I was always just, a sous chef in a kitchen in one of his, one of his restaurants. And, um, he kind of tried to, you know, walk me through it and, and, and be there for me and try and help me. But and I, an addiction to any form of sort of drug or alcohol is, it, it removes all of your reasoning really. Um, and I, you know, I would, I would say to people that, yeah, I was, you know, accepting their help or I was doing something about it. But I never was because it was your mind is sort of taken over at that point. Um, and then it got to a point, yeah, where I'd left the restaurant. I was uh, – I'd moved back in with my mum because I was just completely useless. Uh, you know, I was sort of bedridden. And um, I'd given up. Like, I'd just given up. I just – I couldn't – I absolutely couldn't see a way out of it other than dying. That was it. Right. And I remember quite clearly having a a thought process over a few days where I'd, up until that point, my physical addiction had sort of convinced me all the time that I would be able to beat it. Right. That's the problem with addiction is that, you know, that want and that need always overrides sort of sensible thoughts. So, um, Whenever anybody said, yeah, you know, do you think you'd just be able to stop? I'd be like, yeah, no, I will. I will. And I I believe that in my own head. The reality was is that that's the addiction. And then, yeah, I got to a point where it was this weird stage thing happening where it was over about three days. I said to myself, that's it. I can't can't get out of this. I'm done. Uh, I might as well just keep going. And then when I die, I die. I can't do anything about it and um and then it was a few days after that um I don't know what happened I just woke up and something had changed in my head and I had a feeling that if I didn't do something that moment it i don't know what it was but it was like that's it I'd probably die today and uh and I spoke to my older brother and said i you know I, I don't know what we can do, but I need to try and check into a rehab or something. And he was like, "I've been waiting for you to say this for years, you know." And uh, yeah, and he took me to a rehab. Um, it was just the. I don't know, there was a the shame attached to that. I think that was one of the things with with not wanting to go for so long is that, you know, do I want to be someone for the rest of my life who's gone to rehab? right? It's a big fail. That's how I saw it at the time. Uh Looking back now, it's the best thing I ever did in my life. I right? completely changed my life. Uh, And I came out of rehab and I've never drunk since. And um, yeah, I'm extremely lucky that I was in a position where I could manage to get into one. And that I had family around me that could help me do mm. that. Did you
0: feel as well that um you're working in an industry, you mentioned before that Chefs, alcohol, drugs, it's kind of it's accepted that you might turn up hungover,
1: yeah drunk, whatever. Yeah, but I mean, do you know what's what's so refreshing and amazing to see is it it has changed. Right. I look at the the young team that we have now. I mean my God, like when we when I was in my twenties and stuff in kitchens. Not probably ninety percent of the kitchen was relatively hungover almost every day, right? Like at some of some degree. But these young chefs that have come through nowadays, they're actually much more sensible about stuff like that.
0: And since you started telling your story, has mm. have you had people coming forward to kind of go, "I've got a problem" or "I need help"? What you know, has it put you in a position where you feel like you can help people a bit more? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, look, every everybody's. Who's, who's in addiction or, or has, you know, a family member in addiction, it's it's always unique. It's never, this is what you need to do. This is how you fix it. Um, but I, yeah, absolutely. I have people contact me and, and sort of ask me if, uh, you know, I can talk to somebody that they know, or if it's somebody reaching out to me directly. And, you know, it's a very private thing. And I'll always stop what I'm doing and and sort of give my time for that because I know how important it is and and how much it changed my life. And also, you know, what I said about Tony, uh, how important that was to me, having someone being human to me at the time. Um, But, yeah, it is extremely difficult. And I, I have difficult conversations with people where I say, you know, that person's not ready to stop drinking yet. And that's one of the toughest things, you know, um, for someone to understand that. And, and my, I, was talk, I talk a lot to my mum about this nowadays, about kind of what happened with me back in those years. So sort i of go for dog walks and have long chats about it. And uh, it's very emotional. And, um, you know, I put my family through an awful lot, an awful lot of the time. And, and she said that was one of the hardest things, was knowing that they couldn't do anything. Right. They had to just wait for it all to sort of come to a head for something to change, and they didn't know how it was going to come to a head or what the result of that would be. But they knew they couldn't do anything about it.
0: Yeah, I think the vi- visibility is important as well. You know, for for like maybe younger people who, who are struggling in the industry, or that that there are conversations now being had about mental health and addiction. Mm. Within within our industry, and and it's so important that 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 chefs like you, who are seen as you know success in their field, are like stepping up and saying, "Look, I've had things happen in the past that have knocked me off course, and mm. it's it's part of it, you know. And we can come back. And the main thing is, you can come back from it, and you can have an incredible life. So I asked you as well to um to give me a recipe that you make when you want to like comfort yourself or comfort others. What have you chosen?
1: Yeah. So, uh, a recipe from the book actually, which is one of the most popular pies at the restaurant. And that's the Dauphin was potato cheese and onion pie. So it's basically like a posh cheese, potato and onion pie. Yes. But I love it. It's,
0: it's incredible. Look, I've, I've given myself the challenge of I'm going to make it this weekend. I've decided, Mm. um, so you kind of make make the dolphin more in a in a round dish and bake it in the oven, don't you? And then, or, yeah. or just let it set and then um, let it set yeah, yeah, and then and, turn it out, cover it in pastry, make a pastry base, and mm. then bake it. and your, Yours is decorated beautifully, and it's. Um, I was talking to um, Asma Khan for another episode of the podcast, and yeah. she chose paratha with potato, and you've chosen pastry with potato double carbs seem to be Mm. like the way to go when you want to
1: (laughs) yeah when you
0: want to get ultimate comfort
1: I I mean with that pie it was um that was actually the first vegetarian pie we put on in the restaurant when we launched the pie menu and um I yeah up up until that point we'd had four meat pies and we were kind of under a bit of pressure to sort of put a a vegetarian pie on and I'd said to the team we're not putting a pie on vegetarian pie on until it's as good as the other four right I don't just want to do a token pie it's got to be as good as the other ones and it's genuinely my favorite now now it's the one that takes us so much longer to produce than all the others but (laughs) it's like so unctuous and and sort of rich and yeah it's not like a light <laughs> vegetarian it's meal. not
0: it's got like but it's a pie. Uh, yeah it's got five hundred mils of cream in it, i think mm. and quite a lot of cheese, but it looks but it feeds eight to ten people i mean come on or four yeah. normal people
1: <laughs> and do you know what as well that that pie it's probably the most cooked recipe I've seen out of the book since we yeah. launched the book, so at Christmas every day you know i'd get sort of 15 messages on social media people making (laughs) that pie and i was like yeah that's super cool no it's a winner yeah
0: um i'm going to finish off with a a question for you which Mm is um if you're going to give any advice to your younger self if you could go back in time at any time what would you what would you tell callum
1: um Yeah, I think the most important advice I could give myself is to not worry about what other people are doing, right? Don't worry about other people's success. Don't worry about what other people are achieving. If you focus on yourself and and making sure that what you're doing is good those other people will have that same thought, I guarantee you, right? Because I did that for a long, long time. I was really self-conscious, really nervous, really self-doubting because I saw people my age blowing up, right? Becoming super successful, winning Michelin stars, being on TV, all of these things. And I was like, "Mm, do I need to do what that person's doing or, you know, do I need to maybe start cooking that style of food? Do I need to get tattoos? Do I need, you know, all of these things. And uh, and it wasn't until I sort of blanked that out and just focused on what I wanted to do and doing it really well, that actually I started becoming successful myself. And uh, I wish I'd been able to sort of slap myself five years before and just said, don't worry about it, you know, be happy for those people, but, really you know don't don't worry about their careers just focus on your own follow
0: your follow your own path that's Mm. brilliant advice and really nice to end on but thank you so much for coming to chat to us today callum it was lovely to see you again and i'm hoping to get in for a pie soon
1: yeah we'd (laughs) love to cook for you again so thank you thank you for having me
0: you've been listening to disasters and triumphs an olive magazine podcast series To find out more about the series, including the recipes we talk about in each episode, visit olivemagazine.com, where you'll also find our huge back catalogue of over 200 podcast episodes. Don't forget to subscribe at ACAST, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode.